Right, good morning everybody. Thank you for joining us here this morning at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is Dave Everett and we're going to be continuing our teaching this morning on such a great salvation as well as our sub-series sub, uh, here on healing. So uh, before I get started, just so you know, all of our teachings are archived on our website at lighthousediscipleship.org as well as our YouTube channel at Lighthouse at lighthousediscipleship.org. Uh, wait, I, I think I said it wrong. Our website is lighthousediscipleship.org. And our YouTube channel is Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And so uh, all of our teachings are archived there. We also want to say thank you to all those who have partnered with us with your tithes and your offerings. In case you're wondering how to do so, you can simply go to our website at lighthousediscipleship.org. In the top right corner, highlighted in blue, is the give page. <coughs> me, from, you can give from anywhere around the world uh, from that page. If you'd rather send us a check, you can simply make your checks payable to Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And on the bottom foot of every page on our website is our mailing address, and you can send it there. And so if you're in the United States, just so you know, all of our, all your tax donations and contributions are 100% tax deductible, and we are a 51c3 church. Well, without further ado, I have a lot to cover. We're going to jump right in back into our message this morning. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, if you've been following us for any length of time, you know that we've been spending months uh, so far on... Uh, this series. I don't usually have a series that lasts as months, months on end, but we've been spending almost half a year uh, just talking about such a great salvation, because there's much to talk about regarding our salvation that we have in Christ Jesus. And real quickly, I'm going to go through a, a brief recap. We have talked about the gift of salvation, basically defining what salvation is, about the Hebrew and the Greek, and also what it is and what it is not. We've also been talking about the purpose of salvation. We've been talking about the necessity of salvation. And we've been spending months talking about the benefits of salvation. There's many benefits, and we've highlighted many, but we have spent, and within this uh, series of such a great salvation and the benefits of salvation, I've created three mini-series. The first one was the benefits of salvation, how, we, we, how it relates to wholeness. And this second one, which we're still in, is the benefits of salvation regarding healing. And we've been spending months already just on this healing aspect alone. We are... are <coughs> Excuse me. We are on the homework stretch to finishing this uh, mini-series. I've still got a couple more weeks to go, and then I'm going to spend a few weeks on talking about the benefits of salvation and how it relates to prosperity. And I know this is a sore subject for many people. That's why I want to bring clarity. Uh, when we have a sore subject, we need to teach it. We need to bring some clarity to it so that we are sound regarding a different topic, especially in regards to our salvation. Okay. And so we are talking still on the benefits of our salvation within this series of such a great salvation. But as I've been mentioning over and over the last few weeks, including today, that we are on this mini-series within the series on talking about healing. And there's a lot to talk about, and we've been talking about it a lot. So we've been talking a lot about healing, uh, hindrances to healing, how, methods of how to get healed. We've been talking about the principle of healing and how it relates to our salvation at length over the last several weeks. And... Excuse me. Uh, and there's still three topics I want to talk about on, on the subject of healing uh, before we conclude this mini-series. And one of those things is talking about Paul's sword in the flesh. And why am I mentioning that? Because there are different traditions of, of thought and, and teachings that come from various circles and groups that, that speak towards the fact that, uh, well, Paul didn't get healed. You, can't, you might not be able to get healed. And so, 
uh, we need to speak toward speak towards that. So we're, we're going to be spending uh, the bulk of the message this morning to talk about Paul's sword in the flesh. See, if you listen to everyone else's thoughts or traditions about any subject matter, except for the Word of God, the devil will use that to put unbelief in your heart and cause you to waver. If you believe Paul was sick, if you believe Paul had a disease, if you believe Paul had an Asian eye disease, if you believe that uh, Paul was humbled by God because of his pride, and, then, and the list can go on and on, then the devil will cause your heart to believe, well, if Paul didn't get healed, then maybe I won't get healed. And so my purpose in teaching this is not just to nuke the traditions, even though I, I intend to do that. My, my purpose is to learn from his thorn of the flesh so we can apply it to our lives in the appropriate context according to the scriptures, not the traditions of men. Okay? So sometimes in order to teach something, I have to unteach some traditions and unteach some things that are out there. And that's what I aim to do. Because some of those traditions are making the Word of God of no effect in our lives. And as a pastor, as a teacher, I want the Word of God to be effective in your lives. But if you believe some of these teachings are, are, are confused uh, where you stand with it, it can, it can make the Word of God of no effect in your life regarding these traditions. To it, you know, it's... Excuse me again. It's profound the misunderstandings, the misapplication, the confusion regarding this issue of Paul's thorn in the flesh. And as I mentioned uh, uh, several weeks, and I've mentioned off and on throughout all my teachings, when you take a text out of a context, you are going to be left with a con. Again, let me go back and look at the, the screens again. When you take a text out of a context, you're going to be left with a common. Okay? And so, with that light, uh, over the last several weeks, I've talked about different hindrances to healing. And two of those hindrances I talked about is unbelief and also the traditions of men. Okay? And I know I touched on this last week, but I'm going to recap a lot of this and then want, in many ways reteach this uh, as we go into talking about the thorn of the flesh today. Okay? In Romans 10 17, we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. My faith does not come from your traditions. My faith doesn't come from my traditions. My faith comes from, it doesn't come from my denomination's traditions. It comes from the Word of God. Okay? And when we believe, in other words, we need to believe what God says versus what man says. I'm not here to attack man, but if what they believe or what they teach contradicts the Word of God, then I'm going to go with the Word of God, and I'm going to magnify, and I'm going to exalt the Word of God. In the parable of the sower, in Mark's translation of that, Jesus said at the end of that, we need to take heed what we hear. Folks, in our society today, and, and ever since Adam, we need to take heed what we hear. Okay? That's important. Many do not heed to what the Word of God says. Instead, they will heed to what man has said, or their denomination has said, or their pastor has said. And I'm not against your pastor. But if what your pastor is teaching on any given subject contradicts the Word of God, we need to go with the Word of God. Okay? There, and so, on the subject of healing, there are controversial issues regarding Paul's thorn in the flesh, regarding Timothy's stomach issues, regarding Epaphroditus' illness, and, and Elisha's illness. I'm going to deal with these last three next week, but I'm going to deal with Paul's thorn in the flesh this week. 
Okay? We need to settle in our hearts that we're going to believe and we're going to trust God. That's really what I'm, I'm after. I'm not against men. I'm not against pastors. I'm not against denominations in and of themselves, even though uh, that's another subject for another time. <coughs> I'm about believing and trusting God. And if the traditions of man cause us not to believe and trust God, then I guess I am against those specific teachings. I might not be against them or that church or, or that denomination per se, but I am against the teaching that any I'm against any teaching that will stray <coughs> excuse me. I'm against any teaching that will lead you astray from believing and trusting God. If I teach something that leads you astray from believing and trusting God, then you shouldn't believe me in that teaching, okay? So I want to teach again or re recap the traditions of man as I taught last week as, we, as a segue into what we're going to teach this week. Okay, in Mark chapter 7, beginning with verse 5, Jesus said, And then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Jesus, Why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions? <coughs> Excuse me. Why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? And he, Jesus, answered and said to them, Why, well, did I, did, well, did Isaiah prophesy under, of you hypocrites? As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. See, our worship is in vain when we teach as doctrine the traditions of men. You know, and I'll get into it in just a minute. Traditions, in the, uh, traditions are not bad in and of themselves. But when we take the traditions of men and teach it as doctrine, our worship is in vain, according to the words of Jesus. Okay? For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the traditions of men. You have the traditions of men, and you have the commandments of God, and you are exalting the traditions of men over God, over the commandments of God, and that's wrong. Okay? The washing of pitchers and cups and many such things you do. He said to them, all too well, you reject the commandments of God that you may keep the traditions. And I will add the traditions of men. Many religious people reject the word of God in order to hold fast to traditions of men. And I can apply this as many different subjects. Right now we're talking about the thorn in the flesh in regards to healing. And so that's where I'm going to apply a lot of this too. That will make, and when we, let me go back, when we, <coughs> when we reject the word of God so that we can hold fast to the traditions, traditions of men, that will make the word of God of no effect. Going back to Mark, for Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And he who curses father and mother, that can be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profits you, might have received from me is Corbin, that is a gift of God, and then you no longer let him do anything for his father and his mother, making the word of God of no effect through your traditions which you have handed down and many such things that you do. He gave one example, this is not the only example, because he concludes what he said by many such things that you do. Jesus was not just dealing with one thing, he was ahead of the one word of God. He was dealing with many things that were here and the word of God. 
Okay. Oftentimes, we are, I have asked personally, Lord, why do we see a miracle heal or healing here, but we're not seeing one over here? In other words, why are we seeing a miracle over here with this person, so we're not we're struggling over here, maybe in our own lives or someone else's life? I don't have all of the answers for that, but I, we do have some of the answers. Okay, and we're going to deal with some of those today. When we exalt the traditions of man over the Word of God, that will make the Word of God of none effect in our lives, over any area, over any subject matter. And right now we're talking about the thorn of the flesh and how it relates to healing. You can go to church, you can read your Bible, you can have devotions, you can give tithe, you can serve in the ministry, you can pray, you can operate in your gifts, you can pray in tongues. But unless you exalt the Word of God in your life, the traditions of man will make the Word of God of no effect. Going back to Mark, in Mark 7, he said, in verse 7, And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines and commandments of men. They were saying what man said, and said God said it. And they can quote, they could quote so-and-so as if so-and-so wrote the Word of God. You know how many times as a pastor I have people contradict what the Word of God said? Well, my mama said this. Uncle Joe said this. My pastor, uh, uh, I don't know, Pastor, Be pastor Barry said this. As if your mama or your Uncle Joe or your pastor wrote the Word of God. I'm not against your mama. I'm not against Uncle Joe. I'm not against Pastor so-and-so. As long as what they're teaching is not going against the Word of God. Okay? And I'm not against them, but I may be against their teaching if their teaching is not contrary to the Word of God. Okay? We need to honor our parents, but not above God. <coughs> we need to honor our elders, Uncle Joe, perhaps, but not above God. We need to honor our pastors and, and teachers, but not above God. Okay? If you want to see the power of God in your life, you must honor the Word of God above your mother or father, above your pastor or teacher, above your uncle, above any group or denomination. I have seen people fight for what their group says, their denomination says, their mama says, and versus what the Word of God says. As, and that would, you would think that their group, or their mama, or their uncle Joe was God. Okay? And that makes the Word of God of no effect. When we all need to not judge our mama, Uncle Joe, our pastor, we need to judge our own hearts. What we are heeding to, what we are listening to, what we are receiving. That we, that we are believing what God said, and God said it. Not what man said, or our mama said, and if God said it. Okay? And again, Mark 7, 8 says, We're laying aside the commandments of, of, of God, you hold fast in the traditions of men. He goes on to say in verse 9, he says to them, You all too well, you reject the commandment of God that you may keep the traditions of man, making the word of God, verse 13, through your traditions. Again, traditions in themselves are not bad. And many traditions can be very good. <coughs> many traditions that we might have in our local church, or in our families, or in our own, our own households, may help facilitate the word of God and the will of God in our lives. That's good. If they facilitate the purpose of God, if they can facilitate the word and the will of God, they are good. 
Many of our traditions facilitate fellowship, communion, water baptism, and many different things that we do that we should be doing, and they help facilitate that, and those are good. And many tradition, traditions, such as fellowships, small groups, pews versus chairs, or, or homes versus uh, uh, church buildings, all these things can help facilitate the Word of God and our fellowship and our worship and things that the will and purpose of God. But sometimes people get get have a meltdown because we are having small groups instead of fellowship. It's not a small group of fellowship, okay? Some people have a meltdown because the, the, the church or pastor or board chose to take out the pews and replace it with chairs. Pews are great. I don't prefer them, but but don't both the pew and the chair facilitate the same purpose of so we can gather and worship with God together? You know? Uh, meet in the home versus their church building. The church is not the building. The church is not the home. The church is the people. And it doesn't matter what. You can meet outside in the tent and still call it a church. We had church service in a tent in Mexico one time. It was awesome. Okay? It might have been perverted by many people. But it was awesome. The Word of God was preached. People would be ministered to and had helped facilitate what God's purpose in that church. Many have a meltdown when the, the traditions change because they have exalted the traditions over the Word of God. They've exalted their pews over the Word of God. They exalted their, their church building over the Word of God. But any tradition that facilitates the Word of God is good until we exalt the traditions over the Word of God. And when we exalt the traditions over the Word of God, then our traditions have become our idols. And we are now worshiping our traditions over the Word of God. And this can apply to many different subjects. But we don't want to worship our traditions over the Word of God. We don't want our allegiance to be, we want our allegiance to be to the Word of God versus our traditions. In the Old Testament, many of the traditions that they did, they would, for example, they would make memorials to remember the goodness of God in a particular area or something God did. And then they would start worshiping the memorial. And God had to come back and say, well, then they had to tear down the memorial. The memorial was good to remember what God did. But once they started worshiping the memorial, now the memorial became a bad thing. And they had to tear it down. Okay? Because their allegiance to, is to now to the memorial, not what the memorial represented. And we, again, we need to all judge our hearts to, to what, what we are receiving. We don't need to talk about how dumb people were 2,000 years ago. We need to think about how dumb we could be today. Okay? We need to talk about how dumb we can become if we exalt God's word, if we don't exalt God's word over tradition. Traditions are a good thing if they facilitate the word of God, but traditions are a good thing if, until they trump the word of God. Traditions are good services to the scriptures. Services are good services to help facilitate the word of God. And traditions are just good services. But traditions are horrible masters. Okay? And so, traditions can become a methodology that no longer serves its original purpose, but instead owns our allegiance to itself. Our heart is a tradition is in the tradition instead of what we are facilitating, that's when it becomes a bad thing. Okay? And so, going, again, going back to Mark, where Jesus is quoted from Isaiah, and he says, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You will actually exalt the traditions of man over the word of God, 
And many people will actually worship their traditions and idolize their traditions over the Word of God. And when you do that, you will make the Word of God of no effect in your lives. Okay? So enough said on that. That is a backdrop of, of this. As we are looking at these controversial issues, and more specifically today, Paul's thorn in the flesh. Okay? There are all these traditions that surround the issue of Paul's thorn in the flesh. I've heard so many different teachings and doctrines and viewpoints, and some of them are beyond bizarre uh, to how they even came up with that. It's, it's profound, the habitual misunderstandings of this issue of Paul's thorn in the flesh. So today, we're going to do something very novel, and we're going to do something very easy. We're going to look at the Word of God. And see what it says regarding this thorn in the flesh. And we are going to accept the word of God above what anyone else has ever said regarding the subject. We are going to exalt the word of God above anything anyone else has said. And if you listen to everyone else except the word of God, the devil will come around and cause unbelief in your heart. Okay? If you believe Paul was sick, he had a disease, he had an Asian eye disease, which is very popular, we will deal with that. Uh, are humble for his pride or anything else, the devil will come to you where Paul didn't get healed, then you might not get healed. Okay? So again, we're not here to nuke just the traditions. We are here to learn from this sword of the flesh. So with that said, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. First 12, chapter 12 is actually where we want to go. But before we go there, remember I said if you take a text out of context, you're left with a con. I'm not going to read the whole context, because, because the context of this thorn of the flesh is four chapters long. The context is between 2 Corinthians 10, 11, 12, and 13. <coughs> this phrase, the thorn in the flesh, is found in chapter 12, but we, in the context, we need to consider the context. What was going on that caused, caused Paul to even mention the thorn in the flesh? That's what we need to consider. I'm not going to read all, all four of these chapters, so I'm going to bullet point it here for you here. The full context of Paul's sword in the flesh is found in these four chapters. Okay, And Paul had to vindicate himself to the Corinthian church. Here's the, we're talking about his second letter to the Corinthians. This is not his first letter, this is his second letter. Okay, And because false teachers and false prophets had come in, and they were bragging about who they were, and they were bragging about their credentials. And so Paul comes on the scene, and they were because they were pulling people from the church in an apostate condition. And therefore, Paul was forced to say some things that he did not want to say. We're going to see that there were multiple times where Paul said, and I'm paraphrasing, I don't want to talk like this, but you have forced my hand. Okay, you have forced me to talk like that. I don't want to talk like this. He says it many times in this context. And yet he says it, and yet we've taken what he didn't want to say, and we've made it a big doctrine. Okay? And so, because they were big on credentials, Paul gave his own credentials. He didn't want to give his credentials. Paul did not want to boast about his credentials. They were boasting about their credentials, and so he had to play their game, so to speak, and, and, and mention that. And so, when we get to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning with verse 1, Right off the bat, Paul says, It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. Paul sets the stage immediately. I do not want to boast. He actually started saying that in chapters 10 and 11. In fact, he says it right here in the beginning 
Philippians verse 12. I do, we're not one to boast. And, and so people will say, well, God was humbling him because he was boasting. He said he didn't want to boast. He's not trying to boast. But his hand was forced here. Okay? And he goes on to say, I will come to visions and revelations to the Lord. And I know a man in Christ who went 14 years ago, whether in the body, I do not know, or whether out of the body, I do not know. God knows. But such a word was caught up in the third heaven. Excuse me. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, how he was caught up into paradise and heard in inexpressible words which is unlawful for a man to utter. Let me just say this. If you saw heaven unveiled, you would not be able to utter or articulate what you saw. Okay, if you really did. I know there's some mental kooks out there who said they have. And maybe some have or have not. But if you really saw heaven unveiled, you would not be able to utter, articulate what you saw. Okay? Let's move on. Of such a, of such a one, I will boast. Yet of myself, I will not boast. Except in my infirmities. We'll come back to some of this. But though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool. For I will speak of the truth, but I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what sees what he sees me to be or hears from me. I want you to, I want to break some of this apart. We're getting to the verse about the, the thorn in the flesh because I I will not boast, okay, except in my infirmities. And we're going to spend some time what this infirmities is, okay? Uh, for, let me just say this, first off. It's infirmities, plural. Not just one thing, okay? Yeah, so this was a, this thorn was pearl. It was multiple things or multiple infirmities, okay? And then he goes on and says, "Well, though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool." I want to highlight that because many have said on national TV through the years, Paul was a fool and God had to humble him. Paul said, I will not be a fool. I'm going to go with what Paul said, not what other people have said, not what the traditions have said. I'm going to go with what Paul said under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. How do I know he was under the anointing of the Holy Spirit? Because all scripture is God-breathed. And Paul wrote the book of 2 Corinthians among two-thirds of the New Testament. And I, I believe that God, Paul was inspired by the Word of God to, to write the Word of God because the Word of God is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to go with what Paul said under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Paul said, I'm going to do a foolish thing, but I don't want to do it. Okay? He says it over and over again. I will not be a fool. Okay? Let's move on to verse 7 and 8. Unless I should be exalted by measure, by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me as I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I plead with the Lord three times that it might be depart from me. Back up. And unless I should be exalted above measure, by the abundance of revelations. Okay? The abundance of revelation is involved in the sword. Okay? We'll come back to that. The Bible of Revelations. A thorn in the flesh was given to me a messenger of Satan. 
A messenger of who? Satan. A messenger of Satan. And yet many people think it was a messenger of God. It's very, it's, it's right there, black and white, in your Bible. It was a messenger of Satan. It was not a messenger of God. Many traditions, many teachings have been out there that God humbled him by sending a messenger. It wasn't from God. It was from Satan. It was a messenger of Satan. Okay? Satan is not God. Okay? God did not send this messenger. God did not send this thorn in the flesh. God was not buffeting Paul. It was a messenger of Satan. Very clear. Okay? A messenger of Satan to buffet me. Lest I be exalted above measure. Satan's purpose was to knock Paul down a notch. Or a few notches. Okay? Satan was not happy about Paul being exalted. And most of us have a problem with Paul being exalted. I just talked about how we need to exalt the word of God above the traditions of man. And now here we are uh, about, you know, I'm teaching... Uh, that Paul was exalted. Paul was about himself. And we think that being exalted is a bad thing. And that, some of you are already are like, that goes against everything you teach, Pastor Dave. We're here to exalt God, not man. And I agree with that. However, have you forgotten the scriptures? In Psalm 89, and I've talked about this at length many times through the years, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. They walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance, and in your name they rejoice all day, and in, and in your righteousness they are exalted. I'm not teaching this this morning. I've taught this at length, at times past, over and over again. The righteous God will exalt you. You don't exalt you. God's righteousness will exalt you. Peter says it this way. Humble yourself in the mighty hand of God, and that he may exalt you in due time. You're not exalting you. God will exalt you. And when God exalts you, he's the one doing it, not humbling you. Who's, who's doing the humbling? You humble yourself, and he will exalt you. God was not humbling Paul. Paul was humbling himself, and God was exalting him. Why would God exalt us? Because when we are exalted, we are the light of the world. We, we, are the, we are the church of the firstborn. We are the body of Christ. We're here to preach the gospel. And if we are exalted and Christ is in us, we can preach the gospel. And many people will hear us. People are not going to listen to you if you are poor as a church mouse doing nothing. God's not exalting you to bring attention and glory and honor to you. God is exalting you so that you can be a mouthpiece, you can be a trumpet, and declare the mighty works of God and proclaim Jesus to the nations. God's not exalting you to magnify you. God's exalting you so you can magnify Jesus. That's another teaching, but anyway, that wasn't going on in Paul. Okay, let's go back to Corinthians. He says, and concerning this thing, I plead with the Lord three times that he, it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. That word weakness it also goes with the word infirmities. And therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
Many have taught God did not answer Paul's prayer. Many have taught that God basically just told Paul to live with that thorn. Okay? No. God answered his prayer. My grace is sufficient for you. When you think that God didn't answer your prayer, you're telling me you don't understand grace. Because God's grace is sufficient for anything that we go through. You can't go through anything and prevail without his grace. God's grace is sufficient. Okay? He did answer his prayer. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is my power in your human weakness. I'm paraphrasing some of this stuff. Okay? I'm not going to so much expound so much on this grace being sufficient for you. I'm going to deal with this thorn in the flesh. Okay, that's what we're dealing with this morning. Hopefully you're following with me. Let's go on, read the context, and then we'll go back and, and, and look, like some, look at some things. And therefore, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, <coughs> excuse me, this is Paul speaking. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities, not his credentials. He's going to boast in his weakness that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Again, these infirmities being plural, multiple things. Okay, Paul's going to boast in his infirmities. He's not boasting in his credentials. He's not boasting in his revelations. He's not boasting in himself. Okay, verse 10. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. He, he mentioned that word multiple times here. In reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, Therefore, I'm strong. We're going to be looking at some of this because he's got a whole chapter, chapter 11, talking about all these persecutions and distresses and infirmities. Okay? Verse 11. I have become a fool in boasting. You have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended by you, for in nothing was I behind the most envious apostle, therefore I am nothing. Verse 12. Truly, the signs of the apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. And lest I should be okay, so that. Okay, that's that's the that's the specific context of the story in the flesh. But let's go back and let's, let's dissect some of it. Let's go back to verse seven and eight, where we see this phrase of thorn in the flesh. And again, Paul saying, Unless I should be exalted above measure. He was being exalted, but not above measure. Left by the abundance of revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me, that I be exalted above measure concerning this thing. Paul was saying, several days ago, that I was getting all of these revelations. We're going to come back to a lot of this. I was being exalted because of these revelations. God was using me because of these revelations and because I was exalted in these revelations. I was reaching multitudes of people. He was reaching nations. He was turning the world upside down. Paul, God was using him with these revelations. And a messenger was sent by Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Going back to verse, verses 5 and 6. Because I will boast yet not of myself. I will accept 
in my infirmities. And he goes on to say, again in verses 7 and 8, A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Felt like I'm being a little choppy here, so I'm trying to do this in a systematic way. But let's look at this. We've already looked at the, the abundance of revelation. We're going to come back to that one more time. A thorn in the flesh was given to me by Satan to buffet me. Before we go further, we need to look at this word buffet me. Or this word buffet. It's not a buffet. We're not talking about food here. Okay? A messenger of Satan to buffet me. What does this word buffet mean? It means to wrap with the fists. Time and time again. To beat repeatedly. Okay? For example, the waves on the beach are buffeting the sand shore. They come again. They pull back and they come again. And again. And again. The waves buffet the seashore. Okay? The wind can buffet. The waves can buffet something. Something can be buffeted again and again and again. When Satan sent a messenger to buffet Paul, it wasn't just one time. It wasn't just one punch. It was again and again and again he was buffeting him to discourage him, to bring him down. Okay? And this buffeting had to do with this thorn in the flesh. This thorn in the flesh was a messenger sent by Satan and his purpose was to bring Paul down because he was being exalted. And he buffeted him, him continually again and again and again. Because he says in verse 7 8, that's like should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations of thorn in the flesh was given to me. You know, going back to this abundance of revelations, many people think that God had to humble him because he had these revelations. Now he, and, and, you know, that boggles my mind because, first of all, that's impossible. Okay, let me explain. It is amazing how many Christians do not understand revelational knowledge. Okay? Even though many teachers say Paul has so much revelation knowledge, God had to humble him. Can I just be pretty blunt with you? Revelation knowledge never produces pride. It never does. The not revelation knowledge itself will humble you. Okay? It is impossible to have a revelation of God and it lead to pride. You cannot have a revelation of the goodness, the splendor, the majesty, the holiness of God and have pride. You'll be like Isaiah. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among the people of unclean lips. You will say, as many people have said through the ages, I'm a dead man. You cannot have a revelation of God and it leads to pride. And you can't get a revelation of God in pride. You can't even get it. It's impossible. Okay? You can only get a revelation of God when you humble yourself. Okay? So, he, he wasn't in pride. That's impossible. Peter again said, humble yourself in the mighty hand of under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Paul was not in pride. Carnal knowledge is what causes you to be puffed up. 
not the revelation of God. Paul was obtaining so much revelation knowledge that the kingdom of God was advancing. He was leading nation after nation after nation, city after city after city to the kingdom of God. Paul was obtaining so much revelation knowledge, Paul was destroying the kingdom of darkness by the groves. Paul was an enormous threat to the devil. Not because of pride, but because he was humble, he was meek, and through that he got revelation knowledge, and yes, he was bold. Humble doesn't mean you're not bold. David, when he came against Goliath, he was humble. You know, when I teach humility, Saul, King Saul, and all the armies of Israel were wallowing in their boots because they were trusting themselves compared to Goliath. But David was different. David had a different spirit. He was humble. He was bold as a lion, but he was humble. Why was he humble? Because he was trusting God. He was trusting his covenant with God. He wasn't trusting. It didn't matter how. Goliath could have been ten times the size he was. David was trusting God. When you trust God, that is humility to the highest power. When you are trusting yourself, you will be insecure trusting yourself. That's why Israel and King Saul were waiting 40 days and letting this giant taunt him. David came on the scene. He wasn't even coming on the scene to fight. He was coming on the scene to bring cheese and crackers to his brothers because his daddy, Jesse, told him to. He was just being an obedient son. And he came on the scene, and there was something in his spirit that rose up. It said, who's this uncircumcised still scene that he should defy the armies of the living God? He didn't, come, he didn't come on the scene to fight, but he didn't start the fight, but he was going to finish the fight. David was trusting God. Humility is trusting God. Pride is trusting yourself. Okay? Paul was an enormous threat to the devil, and the devil wanted to bring him down. That's why Paul said, I'm not going to boast of myself except in my infirmities. You know, he mentions this several times. He mentions this in verses 5 and 6. And then in verse 9, he mentions this word again. Therefore, gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities. And again in verse 10, therefore I take, I take pleasure in infirmities. What was Paul's infirmities? Because whatever that infirmity was, that was his sword. Okay? There was a constant demonic assault on his mission and his purpose. That was the bucket. It was constant. The fact that it was constant, it means it was being, he was being buffeted constantly. You can't be just buffeted one time. It doesn't work that way. The waves don't just pound the beach once. They pound it again and again and again and again. The demonic assault on Paul's purpose and mission was constant. Demonic assault. Okay? It, how did it come out? It came out through persecution. It came out through tribulations. And it came out through afflictions. How do I know? Because you just read the book of Acts, and you read Corinthians, and you read Galatians, and you read some other things that we're going to shine some light on. He was constantly being assaulted. Okay. To derail him from his mission and his purpose to preach the revelations that he was getting. Okay. And he suffered greatly for the gospel's sake. Why did he suffer greatly? Well, do you remember when Saul, Saul got converted himself? 
When Ananias prayed for him, he said, But the Lord said, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. For I will show him Paul, who was Saul at the time, how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul, God, told, God prophesied that to Ananias that that would happen in Paul's ministry. And Paul was being persecuted. He was going to much suffering for the gospel's sake. Not because he was full of pride. But because he was preaching the gospel at an enormous speed and power and, 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 and success. Okay? Paul's ministry, first of all, in his ministry, Paul, revelation all, he had revelation all beyond measure. And he wrote most of the New Testament letters. Most of us are where we are today in our relationship with God because of Paul's revelational knowledge. Most of that revelation knowledge that Paul regained, he wrote it in all the New Testament books that he wrote. And he wrote most of the New Testament. Okay? And he had a tremendous power, and signs and wonders were being, were being done in his ministry. Okay? We'll, get, we'll, we'll look at some of that in just a minute. There was a constant persecution of afflictions in his ministry. He'll give you a whole list in 2 Corinthians 11, the chapter before 2 Corinthians 12. And the people recoiled and drew back in fear because people saw what was happening to Paul. Yes, Paul was advancing the kingdom of God. He was reaching people like the grove. He was doing signs and wonders. He was doing all these things. But they saw how the people were treating Paul. And as much as they were receiving his message in some of these towns and villages and cities and communities and churches, they were also seeing how the, the world and even the religious people were treating Paul. And they're like, we don't want to be treated like people are treating Paul. And so there was this recoiling, there was this drawing back. Not only was Paul being afflicted, but his ministry was being compromised by the enemy, who was trying to foil his ministry by giving them, putting fear in their hearts towards how Paul was being treated. How many of you today will continue to preach the word of God and make a moral stand for sexual purity, for corruption in our government, and many other things, if you saw me and others under constant assault. If you see other, there's many people in the day, church today, in, at large, if they saw their leaders, their pastors, and different people under constant assault, because they were making, they were preaching the word of God, they were taking a stand for for, for godliness, they were taking a stand for over corruption in government, and many other things that I can list and talk about. You saw them being assaulted. How many people think their hearts would grow wax cold for the things coming upon the earth? Okay? And many will quit the church due to severe persecution. Whether, even if that persecution wasn't at them, but with that, those that they saw, they witnessed, they saw the severe persecution. There's going to be people, and there have been people who will recoil just seeing it from a distance, the persecution. Okay? And that's what was happening in Paul. Okay? And how do I know that's happening in Paul? Because you, you need to read the context. Second Corinthians chapter 10, 11, 12, and 13, he spells all that out. He spends four chapters talking about this persecution that he was going through. Okay? In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 21, we're not going to read all of it. He says, To our shame, I say that we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone is bold, I speak foolishly. 
you know, there's that foolishness that he spoke it before he even talked about those words. Like, I am bold also. Verse 22. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they seed of Abraham? Are they, are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more. <coughs> yes, he's boasting that he's more of a of a minister of Christ, but he he's not trying to boast. He's called that being foolish. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. Paul died more than once. <laughs> you know? From the Jews, five times I received forty stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I mean, he wasn't just shipwrecked once. Three times! I mean, I mean, you got the book. Anyway, a night and day I have been in the deep. And the list goes on. Paul stood up to false gods, to false apostles and teachers. He stood up to corrupt governments. Everything that stood against the kingdom of God, Paul stood up. And because he stood up, he got assaulted. Okay? Paul preached the kingdom of God in such a way that, that he faced constant demonic assault, buffeting by the messengers' infirmities of Satan. Okay? Again, going back, he lists the things that he went through in him, verse, uh, Corinthians 11, 24, beginning of verse 24. I'm not going to reread all, all, all these again. Um, I think I read 24 and 25. Let's go to 26. In journeys often, in perils and waters, in pearls of, of robbers, in pearls of, of my own countrymen, in pearls of the Gentiles, in pearls of the city, in pearls of the wilderness, in pearls of the sea, in pearls among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. It goes on. Besides other things, <laughs> besides the other things, what comes of me daily, my deep concerning for all the churches. He had a burden for the churches that he was ministering to. Who is weak and I am not weak? Question mark. Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? I'm, I'm saying this in the wrong context because these are actually questions. If, if I must boast, I will boast in the, in the things which concern my infirmity. That's the time he uses it in a singular context. He considers all these things when he was one single infirmity. Okay, this one was a, was actually plural multiple times because he uses the plural form multiple times in uh, these two or three chapters. But let's, let's look at this word infirmity real quick. And I can pronounce it in the Greek, but this thorn this thorn was Paul's thorn. It was multiple multiple infirmities. We've already established that. But the word infirmity, if you look it up in the Greek, there's a word for you in the Greek, the transliteration. But it means a lack of strength, it means weakness, it means illness, uh, it means suffering, it means calamity, it also means frailty. Okay, a lot of people think it's infirmities are always illness. It can be, but infirmities is not just illness, it's all these other things as well. Okay, and so some of you think, I am really going through, some of you think about your, your, when you look at your own life, you look at the things that you're going through, you're like, I'm really going through something bad. I'm going through something big. And I'm not trying to minimize that. I'm not trying to ridicule that. I'm not trying to put that down because for you it is big. But what you're going through, as big as it is, as horrible as it is, it is nothing compared to what Paul went through. Okay? 
Some of you have said, I tried to serve God and so-and-so got mad at me. And again, I'm going to say something. I'm not here to hurt your feelings, but you need to get over it. Okay? You just need to get over it. Some of you have said, my family won't talk to me anymore because of my faith. And again, I don't mean this in the wrong context, but you need to learn how to rejoice. Because you've got to rejoice in the Lord. I'm not rejoicing that you're going through this. I'm not rejoicing that your family has rejected you. I'm rejoicing that you are preaching and ministering the gospel and you are standing for righteousness. Okay? But what others think and say does not change the will of God of your life. What others think and say does not change the power of God in your life. Folks, church, brothers and sisters, let's do something for God. Okay? In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 4, Paul lists the qualifications for ministry, and they're not what most of you think. Do you want to be in ministry? Are you boasting that you are in ministry? Then let's look at this list. Because I'm, I'm going to use it from the King James Version. But in all things, Paul says, approving ourselves as a minister of God. Are you approved as a minister of God? Well, here's the qualifications. In much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, and I mean sleeplessness, okay, in fastings, okay? I just read a post, and I've seen it from time to time on Facebook that people are competing for the ministry. They're competing one church against one pastor against another pastor. Are you really competing to be afflicted? Are you really pleading, uh, competing to be have much patience? They go through imprisonments and stripes and all kinds of sleeplessness and whatever. Being in ministry, being a pastor is like having a bullseye in your back. Okay, there's no competition. I rejoice if you're seeing more people saved and healed and, and set free by the power of God. Praise God. How can I help? Can I send more people your way? How can I help? There's no competition in this. But ministers will go through this stuff. As ministers of God. And we are all able ministers in the covenant. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Okay? Um, for, in chapter 3, he says we're all able ministers in the new covenant. There are some things that approve you as a minister. I don't know where I was going with this. But many of the qualifications people talk about today are not in Scripture. Let me, let me reread that. There are some things that approve you as a minister of God, but many of the qualifications people talk about today are not even in the Scriptures. <coughs> Excuse me. Paul says, these are the things that approve ourselves as a minister of God. He goes on to say, because he wasn't done with the list, by pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by love and faith, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. He's not done, verse 8, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known. As dying, and behold, we live as chastened, 
and not killed, as sorrowful, but always rejoicing. There's that rejoicing I just mentioned a minute ago. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, and yet possessing all things. There's many things he says here. I mean, good report, evil report. There's all kinds of stuff that goes on in the ministry. I don't know if you've been in the ministry long enough. You even have people lie about you, gossip about you, slander you. Sherry and I went through a big season of that a few years ago. It was the most horrible thing we ever went through. We thought that these people were Christian. We thought, we thought some of these people were, were, were our friends. We thought some of these people were on board with our ministry. And there was a whole conspiracy of people that just went, went out of their way. Death threats. Trying to tear us apart. Speaking lies about our marriage. Speaking lies to other people. And they spoke these things to some people that we really trusted and admired. And, and, and we loved their ministries. And... Those people got on board with it. Those people were proving a lot of stuff. It hurt it. It hurt. Okay? And so we've gone through stuff. And I'm not saying everybody has to go through what we went through. And I'm not exalting what they did. But I'm going to preach the word of God. And their opinion of me, what they did, does not change what God has called us to do and who we are. Okay? I can go so much into that. But... But 2 Corinthians 6 4 talks about the qualifications, qualifications for ministry. And Paul had all these abundance of revelations. But Satan sent a thorn in the flesh through a messenger to buffet him so he wouldn't be exalted above measure. Again, this was not a messenger of God, this was a messenger of Satan. God did not send it, it was a messenger of Satan. So that he would not be exalted above measure. Satan wanted to knock him down. Satan was not happy that he was being exalted. So Satan would, would love to, to love to buffet him. And Satan would love to buffet you. And so if you are doing things for the kingdom of God, if you are doing things for God, if you are making a stand, if you are changing lives, Satan will love to buffet you, and Satan would love to buffet this church. You know, the situation I just mentioned uh, uh, a while ago, we even, because uh, there were some lies and, and, and slander going around, we have two boards in this church. We have our uh, legal board that goes over the financials and whatnot, but we also have an accountability board. If I was ever in fault, if I ever did something immoral, unethical, then I would be called upon by our, our board to, to investigate it, and, and I would have to step down if I was found guilty. And there would be a whole protocol for that. And so... Uh, even though nothing came officially, and no one approached our board, no, nothing was given, and no, no one even, even, no one even confronted me on any of the slander and stuff. As far as none of the, none of the accusers came to me, none of the accusers came and spoke things to me. But then they went to other people, and we, and so I, I, I took these accusations seriously, and I had a, through our board, we, our legal board, we had our accountability board investigate these things, and I told, I, I gave them specific instructions. I said. Don't investigate them. Investigate me as if these accusations were true. Investigate me. Put me on, on, on the stand. Put me, investigate me. But do a thorough search. Do you know that none of my accusers were willing to talk, talk to our accountability board? None of them were willing to come forward. They were willing to talk about it with everybody else. They were willing to spread it around like wildfire to everyone else. But they would, when they were given the chance to confront me in a legal and, and systematic uh, way with a board that was very objective, that was confronting me on something that 
that the supposedly was taking place, they did not want to come forward. And at the end of all this investigation, our accountability board came to the conclusion that the, the, the only purpose why all the slander and stuff was going on was to one main purpose, and that was to kill and destroy this church and this ministry. That was the only purpose. That was the only motivation. That was the, the, the purpose for that. And I believe a lot of these things were a messenger from Satan to buffet us, to cry and kill and this church and this ministry and destroy us. Okay. Our church has an international impact. We are reaching more than 14,000 people every week. At the time, we weren't reaching that much. But the enemy was trying to buffet us. He did not succeed because we have grown beyond measure and we are reaching people by the thousands. Okay. Going back to 2 Corinthians a thorn in the flesh was given to me. You know, when we look at this phrase, and I, I've shared a lot of the context uh, surrounding this. This phrase, Paul made this phrase, Paul took this phrase, a thorn in the flesh, right out of the scriptures. And most of the Jews would have known this phrase. Because there's three scriptures where this thorn is mentioned. This phrase, thorn in the flesh, is mentioned in the scriptures, meaning the Old Testament that Paul was referring to. Okay? The first one... Uh, and the thorn in the flesh is an idiom. It's like the it's like a pain in the neck. Okay, and the first one is found in Numbers thirty three verse fifty five, and this is before they go to the promised land, before they cross the Red, uh, before they cross the Jordan River, and God specifically said to them, "But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall be that those whom you let remain shall be irritants in your eyes." and thorns in your side, and they shall harass you in the land where you dwell. That's the first one. The, the second one is in Joshua 23, verse 13. It's in the same context. I mean, you know, Joshua succeeded Moses, and after they got into the promised land, they started conquering the land, and Joshua got old. If you read the context, God, God said Joshua was old in Joshua 23. But he also, he, in verse 13, I'll pick it up there. Know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. God, God was confronting Joshua. I told you to drive them all out. You didn't drive them all out. I told you beforehand through Moses in Numbers 33, verse 55, if you don't drive them out, they're going to be a thorn in your flesh, and they will harass you. He says, but you have not done so, so I will no longer drive them out before you. But they will now be snares and traps to you, and scourges on your sides and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from this good land which the Lord has given you. And if that wasn't enough, that was in Joshua, in the book of Judges, verse chapter 2, verse 3, God confronts him again. Therefore, I, I also said, I will not, he's quoting Joshua 23, verse 13, I will not drive out before you. But they shall be thorns in your sides, and their God shall be a snare to you. And do you know who, among the nations that they did not drive out with the Philistines? And the Philistines, among many of these nations, have been harassing Israel to this day. Most of the, most of the Arab nations that are harassing Israel today are these nations that they did not drive out. And how many of you know the Philistines, among many other nations, have been persecuting Israel since that time. The Philistines kept coming on the scene again and again and again. 
Goliath was a Philistine. Many of these still, the Gideon, the whole story of Gideon, and other, uh, some of these other countries that were harassing Israel time and time again were among the nations that they did not drive out. And to this day, and even till now, they have been thorns in their flesh and thorns in their side. Okay? Paul's thorn was not from God. Paul's thorn was from the Satan. God was exalting Paul through the revelations, and the devil knew, knew, I better stop this guy and bring him down. How do you know, Paul said in Timothy, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Okay? And Acts 14, 23 says, Strengthen the soul's disciples, exhort them to continue the faith, saying, We must do many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. I'm going to come back to this a little bit later uh, in my teaching if I get there today. Okay? When you become born again, uh, well, I guess I'll teach a little bit here. Sorry. I feel like I'm a little choppy here. I want to get put in my notes because I know I'm going to come back to this. Um, let me go back to my prediction. When If you desire to live God, you will suffer persecution. You know, a lot of us think that because we're suffering persecution, we must be doing something wrong. No. If you desire to live godly, you will suffer persecution. That's what I'm saying. You will. All who live godly will suffer persecution. You can look at this verse another way. If you are not, if you are not suffering some type of persecution, perhaps then you are not desiring to live godly. Because the scripture says, through Paul, all who desire to live godly will suffer persecution. And in this society today, if you stand up for righteousness, and you stand up for godliness, you stand up for purity, you stand up against uh, uh, corrupt governments and whatnot, you will suffer persecution. You know, I had a, a Facebook stream this week. Um, sorry, I hit a button. But I had a, uh, uh, I just, there was a comment, uh, someone posted it, was, it was a, uh, Facebook posts about a uh, Western movie that I've seen before. I think it was Tombstone. Anyway, some, the, the message has to do with something, you know, build the team so strong and no one knows who the boss is. And I just made a little comment, and there was a lot of good comments in there, there was a lot of Christian comments in, uh, 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 below. Uh, not all of them were, some of them were worldly. Um, but I don't know who the person who originally posted who. I don't know, the, I don't know who he is. Uh, but at the same point, he posted it. And uh, so I, I posted something with well, my team. I'm thinking of God, the church, my family, my wife, and whatnot. And we have a great team. And I, I was mentioning, I forget exactly what I said, what I was saying here. But I just, I made something positive, but I was thinking of God's on my team. And uh, a lot of people are talking, attacking us, the church, and they don't even know who the boss is because we're not the boss. He, he's the king. And they're attacking us. And. And I, I had over 120 positive uh, likes and, and, you know, reactions to it. And then I had about a dozen people who were definitely were worldly people who were just cussing me out and uh, assaulting me left and right with, with vigor. And I'm like, what is your problem? Uh, you know, and so I responded to some of these things, but I didn't even, I wasn't even dealing with social issues. Uh, abortion and whatnot, but they were attacking me uh, just for the fact that I mentioned I was a Christian. And they were attacking me. All who desire to live godly will suffer persecution. I didn't mention, I wasn't attacking them, I wasn't assaulting them, I didn't even say anything of social nature. I just was announcing my team is God. I'm on God's team. And they were attacking me. Okay? And 
But it says in Acts 14, 22, strengthen the soul of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must enter, we must do many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Now, I need to say something here. I've got to go back to this verse. I don't know. I'm running out of time. When you become born again, you are put into the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is in you. Okay? However, I mean, you know, we also must seek God's kingdom. We must seek it first. Seek first the kingdom of God. His righteousness, all these things will be added to you. But then you, we, we are born into God's kingdom. God's kingdom is inside of us. But we must enter God's kingdom. God's kingdom is where God rules and he reigns. His domain is God's authority, his lordship over your lives. You are born again you as a convert, but you are not automatically a disciple. You have to learn to become a disciple. You are in the kingdom, but you have to learn and mature and grow up so you can enter into the kingdom and allow him to be lord of your life. Lordship is not automatic. You have to learn. You have to be disciple to let him be Lord of your life. And that is a process. Okay? When we are in the process of entering God's kingdom, and how do, I said that wrong. We are in the process of entering God's kingdom. And how are we doing that process? We're doing that process by trusting God. Trusting Him. I have to wake up every day and yes, I'm a child of God. Yes, the kingdom of God is here. It's within me. But I have to make a conscious decision. I'm in the kingdom of God. I'm going to enter his kingdom today. And I'm going to, I'm going to have a kingdom mindset. Am I making sense with this? Okay. I need, I need to have a mindset. I'm going to believe God. I'm in the world, but I'm not in the world. The same way that I receive Christ Jesus, I need to walk in him. When I receive Christ, when I receive Christ Jesus, I was put into the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God was put in me. But in the same way that I received him, is the same way that I need to walk and enter his kingdom. Being built, rooted up, and built up in him, and established in the faith. See, when you trust God, bam, you will get hit by the enemy. So what do you do? You get back up, trusting God, and then bam, you will get hit again. Why? Why do you keep getting hit? Why do you keep getting buffeted? Because the devil is trying to discourage you. The devil is trying to dishearten you. The devil is trying to buffet you. So that he can get you to back up and back down and back out and quit. Okay? So that others can see what you're going through and they too will quit. That's what was going on with Paul. But I'm going to enter into God's kingdom. And I'm going to encourage you to enter God's kingdom. So that no matter what demonic assault we come under, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. I'm not quite done with this. There's a little bit more that I need to expand on this uh, uh, thorn in the flesh. Uh, because I want to spend some time uh, dealing with this Asian eye disease. And where that comes from. So the next week I'm going to continue on this. And I don't have much more. But I have a little bit more to cover. With this thorn in the flesh that I haven't covered so far. And then we're going to talk about Timothy's uh, stomach issues. Hepatitis uh, illness. As well as, well as Elisha's illness. So we'll finish that next week. I'm hoping I'm making sense so far. Uh, my purpose is. Uh, why am I doing with this? Because I want you to get healed. We're talking about healing. We're talking about receiving the benefits of our salvation. Which includes healing. 
But some people have been taught through Paul so in the flesh that God was humbling him and God did not answer his prayer to be healed. And we're going to find out even more clearly next week that his illness had nothing to do um, with an Asian eye disease. It had nothing to do with some infirmity of that nature. We're going to, we're, what we're going to see next week when we get into it, and, and we're, we're going to get our answers exactly from the Word of God, but the book of Galatians is a matter of scriptures surrounding that and the book of Acts. We're going to look at Acts 14. We're going to look at some more of that context there. Um, yeah, we're talking about the kingdom of God. But what we're going to look at is that we're going to see exactly what Paul's son in the flesh was. We're going, to talk, we're going to see exactly what his infirmities were and what infirmity he was talking about specifically uh, that he was talking about. And we're going to look at that a little more deeply. And we are going to unravel these myths and these uh, traditions of man that teach that Paul had a thorn in the flesh and God did not answer his prayer and God was humbling him. Uh, we've already debunked some of that already. The, it was a measure of Satan. It was not It was not a, a measure of God. It was a measure of Satan to, to buffet Paul from doing uh, and expanding his kingdom of God. But anyway, we're out of time for today. Uh, we'll see you guys all next week. And you guys all have a great day and a great week. And we will see you soon. God bless you guys.